Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio and its Biggs Institute, expanding the horizons of dementia research and advancing comprehensive care. Learn more at uthealthdementia.org. So here's an experiment I want you to try. Take your hands and make them like binoculars, like two round circles, and put them up to your face. Got it? You can probably see fine straight ahead, but you might not be able to put your shirt on right. If you tuck your chin and look down, you wouldn't see the top buttons. Part of your vision is missing. And it surprised me to learn that that can be a consequence of dementia. Dementia is not just about your memory. It's about your brain. I'm Kitty Isley, and this is 24-7, a podcast about caregiving. So that binocular test, that's an example today's guest gave me about a way dementia can affect your life by limiting messages to and from the brain. And it made me think differently about almost everything that happened while I was caring for my dad in his house, like this. I can't believe it, the ants are back. They've had a problem with ants in this house and the ants were all gone. And then yesterday the electrician was here and maybe he dislodged some unhappy ant nest or something. I cannot imagine this. And that was me complaining to myself one night about ants that were showing up in the kitchen and the dining room and on the furniture. And then I figured out why they were showing up. My dad loved orange juice and coffee often during the day. He'd pour himself a glass and walk to his easy chair and set the glass down, but it would miss the table or catch an edge. He'd usually try to clean it up, but there was always something sticky left behind. And I wouldn't notice for a few days until we got ants. So now the ants are marching through the coffee and the cat is marching all over the place because the ants are freaking her out. Um, Now this happened kind of often. And I thought maybe he's just getting clumsy. Don't walk around with full glasses of juice. So after a while, I get really bossy and say, here, give me the juice and you sit down and I will bring the juice to you. Then I talked with Tipa Snow. She's a dementia care nurse. She trains caregivers for Alzheimer's organizations and the VA. She's been affiliated with Duke University and the University of North Carolina. So much of what she had to say made me kind of mad at myself for not being more patient or more curious about how dementia works. When you get dementia, you're having neurons dying on you and it will start in a certain section of the brain and it tends to spread. And neurons in your brain are what allow your brain to do its job, to guide your body, to give you speech, to give you thought, to give you vision. Everything that you do is based on the neurons firing and sending messages and you getting messages back from your body so your neurons can do something about it. And the causes are varied. The progression is varied. And so we have different kinds of dementia under that thing called the umbrella of dementia. It's a syndrome. It's a collection of symptoms of change. Most people have heard of Alzheimer's disease. That's one kind of dementia under the umbrella. Alzheimer's describes specific things going wrong in the brain that play out in the body, too. And those effects are different than maybe what happens for someone with Lewy body dementia or frontotemporal dementia or vascular dementia. That's the kind we think my dad may have had because of his heart failure. 
what they all have in common is that so far, we can't fix them or reverse them. So since I can't fix your brain, I've got to learn how to live with this changing brain, and so do you. So we're learning this new dance that we have to do with one another. Now, I knew dementia could affect things like memory or what they call executive function, where you have to manage tasks or do things in an order. Those kind of things definitely got harder for my dad, but his challenges were more physical, like falling a lot. I didn't understand that can be part of dementia too, that dementia can show up so powerfully across your body. I asked Tipa to walk me through a few ways dementia can manifest physically so I could understand better what had happened for my dad. So let's start with vision. And vision, although it comes in, visual information come in through your eyes, it actually is processed by the back of your brain called the occipital lobe. So one of the things that happens when people are living with dementia is how much data I can take in at any moment in time gets smaller. It's just too much of the world to try to handle. And as the damage occurs, I can take in smaller and smaller amounts. And it's called visual field. And so with a normal 25-year-old, I can take in about 180 degrees. Like I can put my arms out to the sides of my body and notice, notice things all the way around. But then dementia hits. And what starts happening is I miss data. So let's say by by the time most people notice dementia, what's happening is you're not visually picking up on data. If I look at your face, I don't see your hands because I'm you're right in front of me and I pick up on your face, but I didn't realize you were reaching for me to brush something off my shirt and you startle me. So it's interesting when we put on binoculars and look at the world through binoculars, how much of what we call Uh, difficult behavior or challenging situations might be driven by vision changes that we don't experience that the other person does. All right. So vision, logically, if part of your brain is not operating or is shrinking or is is, um, Dying. dying, then the parts that it controls will also be affected. And I wanted to take movement. I know in our experience, my dad's balance fell apart many times. And this was someone who was athletic and physically in great condition. And um, we ended up with something the helpers called furniture surfing. He had mm-hmm. to hold the furniture as he walked across the house. You got um, it. Tell me what's going on in his balance a function of ah. dementia. Okay, that's a great observation. So up in the cortex of the brain, the thinking part of the brain, we have visual motor cortex. So it means that the vision is hooked into the movement. So when we go to catch a ball, we put our hands out and as the ball comes in, we make the judgment call, squeeze it now, and we catch the ball. Um, When I have problems with vision coming in, then I also have trouble with the motor reaction or response to that. Additionally, however, we have sensory motor, which means I have sensors under my skin and in my joints and in my muscles that allow me to know where I am in the world, in space. Am I upright? Am I bent? Do I have my weight on my left foot or my right foot? Am I prepared to take a step? Now, those things require balance, which involves another part of the brain. So as the the wiring goes, what do you think is going to happen here? (laughs) On all levels. Oh, my God. And so moving becomes really often frightening. And so people don't, whoa, 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 take a 
they don't take big steps. And so we call it the shuffling gait, but it's sort mm-hmm. of like, it's like if I put all my weight on one foot, uh, wow, that's a lot of balancing. So then I'd start using my hand as my, my other thing that I hold on with when I'm moving. So it made sense that movement can become a much bigger challenge as dementia affects different parts of the brain. One thing I never thought of is how your body's senses can change. I knew that older people sometimes have a diminished sense of smell or taste, but I didn't realize your skin and muscles can start responding differently too as neurons die. Wherever you have the greatest number of sensory end organs, you tend to keep uh, awareness for longer and actually can become hypersensitive in those areas. Whereas other areas I may not be tuned into at all, which means as I move along in the world and I slice my arm on something, it's like, oh, wonder what happened there. I have absolutely no awareness that I hurt myself. And and I, I don't understand that I actually hurt myself pretty significantly. But on the other hand, when you go to help me wipe my mouth, oh, geez, what are you doing? Ow, you're hurting me. Um, because I'm the mouth, the tips of the fingers, the palm of the hand, those those fingertips can be very sensitive. Toes, out on toes, toes can be really sensitive to care and the private areas. I'm still sensitive. And so, ow, 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 becomes that frustrating thing for carers. It's like, I'm not being, why are you, why are you giving me such a hard time? And it's like, I'm not, I'm just hypersensitive on those areas and so not aware in others. So I've heard this, you know, somebody might fall against a radiator mm-hmm. and not notice that it's hot and that their mm-hmm. skin is getting harmed. Yeah. Um, the hot taste water in and, the shower. Really? Oh, yeah. If we don't turn the thermometer, uh, the control in the hot water heater, we could actually have people scalded or get in second or third degree burns because they don't move out of the water in time. It takes so long for their brain to realize what's going on. And then they get paralyzed rather than moving. Um, But for sure, taste and smell are also affected. This is something I noticed a lot. And I kept I don't know what I put it down to. I just figured aging. Uh-huh. You know, someone wanted sugar and barbecue <laughs> and bacon and highly um, dense, fast tastes and smells, yeah. things that were sharp and sweet. Yeah. Now that you relate to dementia? Yeah, because what's happening is my primitive brain is pretty active during dementia because my primitive brain is the one that tries to get my needs met. And glucose is a fuel source. And so my brain is getting, yeah, yeah, sugar, sugar. And we also know that we need sodium. So salt, salt. And then fat is that thing. Yeah, that tastes good. Um, whether it's, it was sour and bitter, not so much. So yeah, not so interested in that. But in fact, I don't taste sweet as well or salt as well. So guess what I want more of? Right. I want to amp it up. I mean, barbecue, perfect. It's fat, salt, and sugar. And you know, I had a parent who liked it as well as anything else, but not quite as much as he craved it in his later years. (laughs) But then the ability to grind and chew it becomes problematic. So like our balancing of how do we support someone and give them a good quality of life without contributing to a problem? (laughs) I know in Japan, they have at many of the fast food, the 7-Eleven equivalent, they've started a thing where they actually um, number the kinds of food, depending on how much it takes to chew it or swallow it, because so many people are living with this, that if you have a caregiver running out to buy them wow. extra, whatever, then their packaging has numbers. 
Wow. I mean, and that is what I call a dementia-friendly setting, where we acknowledge someone is going to be making choices and something easy to quickly identify visually, and I know what it means, and now I can use it to support you. How super is that? Okay, we're going to take a short break with a message about another podcast you might find interesting and surprising. When we come back, dementia care nurse Tipa Snow tells us how she handles difficult behavior. American Diagnosis tackles the biggest public health issues in the United States. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This season, we're looking at indigenous health. I was kind of stunned to see how many people lived to be over 100 years old, way back in the 1700s and 1800s. But the life expectancy for a Native American man in my part of America is 57. History shapes the health of indigenous people. We have stories of their resilience on American Diagnosis. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is 24-7, a podcast about caregiving. I'm Kitty Isley. I discovered Tipa Snow's website about caring for people with dementia after my dad died. Now, my dad didn't have Alzheimer's. He had long-term heart failure. And the dementia that arose was sort of a knock-on problem that got worse. My family was really lucky in that his behavior wasn't as affected as his body but for many families, loved ones can act strangely or dangerously. One of the things that caught my eye on Tipa's website were some examples of dealing with so-called challenging behavior. That can mean maybe refusing to get in the car, or not putting on shoes, or repeating a movement incessantly. And Tipa says, for those of us taking care of someone, we need to ask why someone might be doing something, and then think how we can approach it. Tipa has a video on her website that she uses for training about a woman she helped in a care center. And in the video, you see a woman shaking some maracas over chairs in a day room. She's kind of tapping or wiping down the chairs with her maracas. This has been going on for a while and bothering the other residents a lot, and the staff as well. And apparently, this woman also really needs to use the bathroom. And so I said, well, tell me what she used to do for a living. Because I was trying to understand the behavior. Because the behavior has value. I, I just need to try. And somebody said, oh, I think she ran a cleaning company. And it was like, ah, okay. So I said, give me a couple rags quick. And so what I thought was, okay, so first of all, I'll do a substitution. I'd let her come to me because she was busy doing something. And I positioned myself down and low. So I would be in her visual field potentially, but not a threat. Well, hey there. Get out, get your hand. Get my hand out the way. You're trying to get them clean. Here, try this. And I go, you're trying to clean. Yeah, yeah, you're doing a great job. And then I take the rag rather than trying to do more. And I rub the surface that she's patting with her maraca. And she pauses. And in that moment, I realize, oh, she got it. Trade me. Trade me. Trade me. Here you go. Take this. All right, get it. You got it. Now trade out. There you go. Now rub it. There we go. So most people want her to stop what she was doing. And what I did first was a substitution. And so as she did that, nice job, nice job. And I'm using that rhythm of, wow, you're great. But also, man, you got to be tired. 
That is beautiful. You did a fantastic job. Man, you're a good cleaner. Here. Thank you. All right. Well, come with me and we'll sit down and take a break. Oh, God. I know you're ready for I'm one, fine. aren't you? And all of a sudden we're off to the bathroom. And there was not really a challenge to this once I figured out what she was trying to communicate and dealt with it. Like she's trying to get her job done. She can't figure out how to finish. She doesn't know what else to do. I need a way out of this. And she's trapped. In the situations that I ran into, which weren't quite as dramatic, it was very tiring to constantly be kind of breaking down an idea into mm -hmm. reinforcement and positive language that wasn't infantilizing, mm -hmm. in our case, that was still yep. respectful. It just became exhausting. I was going to ask for you, having to be that cheering and that mm -hmm. um, directional and supportive reinforcing, it just almost feels like cheerleading an infant. And then it's just tiring. Yeah. And for me, it's, I got her brain to activate. How exciting was that? I mean, she got to be her self. She got to clean. She got to be successful. She got to take a break with a friend. She got to go take care of business without feeling like I was diminishing her. And I, I felt successful. And so my energy goes up. But what I, what I frequently say is not everybody's meant to be a care partner for somebody living with dementia. It is not really in the cards for some folks. But then again, I can't fix computers. So I think um, we treat working with someone living with dementia like it should be something anybody should be able to do. And it's like, I actually don't view it that way. I think it's a skill set that you have to develop and you have to like doing this. And then you've got to remember to take breaks for you. Even if you like and love the person, you got to remember this is hard work. You made a very good distinction between being a caregiver and being a care partner. Tell me why. Yeah, because the thing about dementia is it encourages us to try to give care to someone and assumes that the person will be accepting of that effort. And unfortunately, um, if parts of their brain that allow them to be self-aware and aware of us and why we're doing what we're doing, if that's being damaged by dementia, they can't. And so I've got to appreciate, wow, they think what I'm doing is harmful, hurtful, mean, not respecting them. And it's like, I'm trying really hard. And people will call it a burden because it feels like I'm always giving and they're not giving me anything back. If I can't have a relationship that is a back and forth relationship still in, in, this, in this life, then I'm going to start to feel depleted. And when I am so depleted that I don't have enough in the tank, this becomes risky or dangerous for both of us. And I get extreme, not because I mean to, but because I'm overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. As the care partner, the person doing, making sure mm -hmm. something gets done that's yeah. safe and necessary. Yeah, so I need breaks. I need breaks where I can recharge my batteries and I know my person is still getting what they need to some extent. So I've got to build a team and this is not how we've ever done dementia. It's always been this secret that we keep and the one relationship and, you know, we're, I'm just going to take care of my husband or my wife or my, my dad or my sister or whoever it is. And, and we forget we need a community to do this. This should be a community activity, not a solo hidden activity because we're going to wear ourselves out and we won't be taking care of our own brain and our own body. Most of the things that I noticed happening 
in caring for two parents, really, they were happening behind closed doors at home or behind a hospital. So no one knew about it. And, and trying to recognize it as a group issue or a situation that, you know, we were going to need more people involved in caring. Um, And I think that's part of why this feels sometimes very burdensome. It's the person's not a burden, but the situation is. The situation is because when we take over somebody's brain, I mean, we talked about it earlier, how your brain does everything. And as this disease moves forward, um, it's like you're in a marathon and you have no idea of all the hills that are ahead of you. And it's like, but I used up everything in the early run. I I don't have a lot left. And it's like, that's why we want to build communities that know how to do this stuff. Um, rather than this isolated, because right now we're suspecting one in five families are dealing with dementia at any moment in time. Within probably about 20 years now, we're talking about two out of five or two out of four families. It's, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> two out of five elders after the age of 75 may be looking at brain changes that affect life. Then let me ask you a final question. If you could blue sky this for our government and our society and the medical establishment, what would we look like if two in five families are caring for someone with dementia? What is our society? What are the what's available? We need to start looking at um, care support for dementia as a something that can be reimbursed by something other than private funds. And we've got to start also looking at training all of us to understand brain changing as something that we're probably going to run across multiple times in our life. And so the fear and the desire to move away from it is something that we really want to figure out how to work with, not avoid, because high probability, somebody I really care about is going to experience that. And unless I'm ready in some form or fashion, I'm going to be overwhelmed very quickly, and I have to turn to quote-unquote experts rather than realize I've got some of the basic skills. Um, So I think we need discussions about dementia that aren't all about the cure. My greatest fear is we keep looking for the magic pill, and we ignore the people that are living life right now. That is Tipa Snow, dementia care nurse and educator. You can find more of her work, her advice, and resources at teepasnow.com. That's T-E-E-P-A, snow, like in winter, dot com. We've been hearing from a lot of listeners about this show, and we welcome it, especially if you want to share a short comment about a specific part of caregiving you need help with, or maybe a hack or a solution you found. Listener Randy Fritz of Texas shared this about caring for his mom. You know, there is no manual, I don't think, for a child of an elderly parent about how to navigate that thicket of of emotions and responsibilities. I, I have tried to be the best son to my mom I can be, and I have found myself more and more turning over the responsibilities related to her ongoing day-to-day care to other people. And sometimes I just wonder if I've been just taking the easy way out and should be doing some of these things myself. I think a lot of us struggle with that balance of how much we can or should do. I know I did. And since there is no manual, maybe we can help each other here. If you have a problem, a fix, 
or even a funny memory about caring for someone, I hope you'll share it with us in a short voice memo or by email at 247 at tpr.org. 24-7 is produced by me, Kitty Isley, and Ben Henry, with editing help from Cindy Carpian and Reka Murthy. 24-7 is a production of Texas Public Radio. Stories like those shared in this podcast inspire the work being done at the Biggs Institute of the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio. The National Institute on Aging has designated the Biggs Institute to be part of a National Center of Excellence for Dementia Care and Research. We're transforming dementia care for thousands of patients and their families, while connecting South Texans of high-risk populations to personalized care, online support, and important clinical trials. We're offering hope for a healthier future for aging. Learn more about the National Institute on Aging designation at uthealthdementia.org.